was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53 was written some, what, 400, 600 years before, literally before the birth of Christ. And if you really leaned into that passage of Scripture that, that was read there, um, let's just talk out of human reasoning, human factions, just human thinking right now. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot to take in to say that's what we believe. We believe that there was this man named Jesus. We believe that as a, as a Christian, we say that we believe that there was a man named Jesus, that this man went to the cross, that he died on the cross, that he's, his body was taken down. It was placed in a tomb and the tomb was closed. Now, that part right there is not too unbelievable, right? Many can believe in that, which we'll talk about here in a few moments. Many would say, yeah, that's factual because historian, historians have proved that. Historians have written about, about that very, those very incidents that took place. However, where it really gets dicey is when we talk about Jesus raising from the dead, right? A man coming back to life. That's never been done before. Not resuscitated, but resurrected. Not just coming, you know, back to life after they fainted or something, but someone who was literally dead came back to life. That's a lot to take in. And yet we say we believe that. We say as Christians, that's what we believe. We say that we believe in Isaiah when Isaiah wrote that this person would come and the sins of the world would be laid upon this person. And that this person would go to the cross 
and suffer a, a horrendous death for me, for us. We say that we believe that. Though, that's a very big pill to swallow, isn't it? Just humanly speaking. Let's lay aside our thoughts about you know being in here on Easter. Humanly speaking, that's a big pill to swallow. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, and let me just share with you uh, again a very familiar passage that um, talks about the resurrected uh, that that first morning of Jesus uh, raising from the dead. In Matthew chapter 28. Starting with verse 1, we'll look through verses 1 through 15. It says this, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord, which I love that, an angel of the Lord, this is where the heavenlies start coming come in contact with the earthly, right? And, and it creates a disturbance. And there's this earthquake that takes place because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see this place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, in my translation it says, Good morning. <laughs> I can't imagine that, you know. It's like we're going to check, check this out, man. You know, this is what Jesus said he was going to do. Jesus said he was going to die, and on the third day he was going to come back to life. So those that were followers, his followers, they're going to go check it out. They're going to go see if this really took place. And they're, they're, you know, and, and they go and they meet this angel, and the angel says, he's not here. It's true what he said. And so they, the angel says, go, he's already left. And so they go, and, and it just happened chance, Jesus there, and yells out, good morning, you know, buenos dias, right, you know. And it's just, I can't imagine as a human, be like, whoa. I mean, it would just, I think it would scare you. Then he says this. It says, uh, the scripture says, they came up, took a hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, uh, go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, we need you to say this. His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. In this story... This theory, this story begin, uh, has been spread among Jewish people to this day. Isn't it amazing, that whole story? I mean, when you take all of this in, everything in, this is what Christianity is based upon. Christianity hinges not so much, I mean, it hinges upon the cross. It hinges upon the tomb. But Christianity hinges upon the resurrection, the empty tomb. The person of Jesus coming to life again. I mean, that is, that, and, and it's not, 
some, you know, it's not something we say, well, this is just aspirational thinking, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, that's a great story. You know, I just, you know, I kind of believe, you know, it's, it sounds great. It's not aspirational thinking. It's not even wishful thinking. Because if all of this happened, if all of this did happen, and Jesus did rise from the dead, it has profound implications for the rest of the world. It has profound implications on you and I as we're sitting in here today. It's why we assemble in here this morning. If the tomb was not empty, and not just empty as we'll see here, but the tomb, was, He was resurrected. If that's the case, or if it didn't happen, then why are we even here this morning? It wouldn't even make sense for us to come and to, and to celebrate and to, and, and to reflect and to think about what happened because our belief hinges upon this, where you and I, those of us that have placed our faith and trust into this, we would say, this is absolutely true. And it changes everything because then all of Jesus' claims are true. And both believer, both believers and unbelievers, when it comes to the resurrection, there is a burden of proof put on them, right? As a believer, those of you that are sitting in here this morning and you say, I believe in this. I believe it was true. I believe that He died on the cross. I believe they took His body down, placed Him in the tomb. I believe that on the third day He rose again and He's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father right now and He intercedes on my behalf. The burden of proof is on you to say, this is why I believe this. And hopefully you would be able to, to, to share with someone. But as just someone that might not believe in it, maybe someone in here right now hasn't quite believed this, hasn't quite grabbed a hold of it, and you're still processing it, but the burden of proof is on you too. Why don't you believe it? What is it, what is it about it that you, that you really struggle with? You would say, this can't be. This can't happen. This can't, this can't be. Believers will point to historical facts. Again, we can go back to the writers of, of individuals like Josephus, who was a historian during that time. He wrote about these things. And he wasn't campaigning one side or the other. He was simply a historian writing about these things that took place. But unbelievers have their arguments as well. And just like we read here where the chief priests got together with the elders and they told the guards, we're going to give you some money because we want you to say this. We want you to tell the story that the disciples came and took the body. Right? Because if... Because if this gets out, it's going to literally change everything. And there were some other things that, some other theories that have swelled throughout the, throughout the century. Some people sitting in here today might, you might kind of connect with one of these and say, yeah, I kind of go that direction. Uh, my scientific mind, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around the faith concept and I kind of lean towards some of these. But I just want to share with you a couple things, um, of, of, of some of the theories of why it might not have happened and then why it might be impossible that, that this theory doesn't hold water. The first one is this. Yeah, or let me ask this question. We've got to believe that he's really alive, right? So he's really alive. But the first one would be this. He really didn't die. Okay? This is a theory that's actually, that has actually circulated. Uh, the theory goes that he did, it, it wasn't even him. Okay? It was someone that looked like Jesus that, that went to the cross. It wasn't really Jesus that went to the cross. It was someone that looked like him, like his understudy, right? Jesus was kind of sick that day, so his understudy stepped up and he hung on the cross because he was a fill-in and he looked like Jesus, right? And it really wasn't this, the Jesus that died. In fact, Jesus was really, really hurt bad, okay? If it was Jesus, he was, now this, again, these are true theories, alright, that, that has been circulated. In fact, he was hurt really, really bad. Okay? He didn't die. It was Jesus, 
But he didn't die. He didn't quite die. He was just hurt really, really bad. Okay? And so he fainted from the excruciating pain, which made the soldiers believe that he was dead. So they took him down and they put him in the grave. Okay? And and this was all due to some of the timing of, of events taking place, such as the Passover. Uh, so they took the body down and placed him in the tomb. Right? Well, here's some problems with that. Number one, if you would just if we just kind of think of, think this through for a second, you have someone that would have had no physical strength whatsoever. To, to I mean, not just be unconscious, but if you think about the physical strength that that he would have had to have had to endure this, the excruciating pain, right? So he goes through six long trials before he gets to the cross. Six long trials, mock trials. Uh, escorted from here to there, six trials that he goes through. He doesn't have any sleep. He endures all of these beatings. He has a crown of thorns jammed on his head, right? He hung on the cross for hours. He took a spear into the side of his body. And after being in the tomb for a little while, we're saying that he would have the strength to kind of regain consciousness, get up, take the grave clothes off, walk over, roll a massive stone away, and slip by the guards. And so that was that one. He really didn't die. The second one would be, another one would be this. Uh, he's still in his tomb, okay? And this theory is that the women who went to the tomb that Easter morning, out of their grief, accidentally went to the wrong tomb, okay? He was placed in the wrong tomb. And the Roman soldiers were guarding the wrong tomb all along. The problem with this one is that essentially an empty tomb would validate their claims uh, that he was alive and he had resurrected, okay? No one would believe in the resurrection if the tomb would have not been empty, right? No one would believe in the resurrection if the tomb would have not been empty. So it actually diminished their their the, their theory, their thesis, their their strength or argument of this of this thought. Another one is this would say, well, his body was taken. And this suggests that the Galilee, his disciples, the Galilean disciples that were scared, okay, that were scared, many of them just like dispersed when Jesus was going through all of these things or stood off in the distance, right? Peter even denied him three times as we, as we have read in, in the scripture. But this would suggest that these scared individuals that feared their lives somehow came to the tomb that was heavily guarded, okay? This tomb was heavily guarded, but they were able to slip past the guards they were able to roll this massive stone away from the tomb, walk in the front of the entrance, uh, somehow slip by the guards undetected, go in, grab the body, bring the body back, move the stone back, all the while slipping past the guards. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, it doesn't it really, the theory doesn't hold water either. So for the disciples to attempt such a theological concept, if it wasn't true, would have never been entertained in the first place because their religious perspective didn't entertain a resurrection. So for the disciples to come and take the body would not have helped them to spread this story because uh, because their system, their 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 religious system wasn't even uh, didn't even focus on a resurrection. Jesus is the one that brought the idea of the resurrection. Another one is this: his followers were delusional. His followers thought they saw him afterwards, right? His followers thought they saw them, but it had more to do with the spirit 
um, living in them as much as, you know, kind of like today when we talk about when we lose a loved one and we come and, at the funeral and we talk about them and we say his spirit or her spirit's going to live on through me, right? I'm going to carry his spirit or her spirit on through me, meaning that uh, who they were, their, 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 their loyalty to Christ, their legacy, their, uh, their work ethics or whatever it is, we would say, I'm going to, we're going to continue to keep his spirit alive. And that's what this one would, 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 would kind of point towards and say that that's what they really meant. And second of all, that his followers were delusional and all this grief. But the problem is over 500 people saw this resurrected Jesus on various occasions. And a lot of the witnesses, uh, for them all had to be delusional. So those are some things. Those are some thoughts of saying, okay, did it really happen? Do we truly believe? Or the proof could be on us to say, maybe it did happen. Jesus really did die and was resurrected. Perhaps it's true. The facts that are recorded and believed tend to give more credibility than the rest of these other theories that, that, that try to circulate. For instance, again, there was a person by the name of Jesus that lived during that time that was crucified on a cross. And historical evidence can prove that, can point to that, and many people believe that. His followers believe that he rose on the third day and appeared to them. And the lives of these individuals that began to follow him, even to today, when someone places their faith and trust into Jesus Christ, your life, my life, their lives are radically changed. Radically changed. I think of a guy by the name of Saul, who was later renamed Paul in the Bible, who sought out Christians to kill them, to destroy them. Remember the whole life of Paul. And yet when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life literally changed. Again, proving the existence that Jesus died and was resurrected. Now, here's what I want us to focus on just for the next few moments. If this is the case... If we say we truly believe that Jesus died and was resurrected, there are some there are some significant implications behind that. Number one, he has authority over life and death. Jesus even said this when he was when he was still alive and and teaching his disciples. He told them that that he had authority over life and death. He said and and and, uh, in one particular passage, he said, I'm the only one that can take my life. I'm the only one that can determine when I die. I'm the one that can take my life. Who do we know that has the power to, to be able to say when they're going to be born and when they're going to die? Uh, uh, you know, only Jesus has that type of authority. In verse 18 of, 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 of Matthew, it says, Then Jesus came near to them. We're going to read this. Then Jesus came near to him and said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has been given this authority. What authority? For starters, authority of life and death. Which means, uh, he, he, uh, uh, and if he does, he certainly has this, 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 this power authority. Secondly, if he has a, if he has the authority over life and death through his death and resurrection, if he has this authority, he has authority over life and death, he has authority over sin and Satan. And we sang these songs. If you leaned into the lyrics of these songs, these songs that we just sang, sang some very deep theological propositions. Some very deep theological statements that, that, that talked about us surrendering to Christ and what it meant because He died and was resurrected. And so He has this authority over sin and Satan. 
And when we think about this, what it comes down to is we go back to Adam. Adam had complete dominion over all things. God created everything. God created this, this, uh, uh, this Garden of Eden. He places Adam in there, gives him a wife by the name of Eve. He, they're, they're only, they remember the whole story. They, they, they could have everything except one thing. They choose that one thing. When they chose that one thing, they literally gave, if we could say, the keys to the kingdom to Satan. Now, Satan has control over all things. Uh, and Adam completely lost it because of his sin. Satan now has control. Therefore, everyone born after Adam in our natural state, we inherit this sin nature. Born in the sin. We're cursed from the very onset. And the original sin absolutely disrupted everything. And because of this sin, everyone dies because of sin. Paul talks about this and tells us that the wages of sin is death or our death. Death is the payment for sin. But Jesus was the only person, again, through the resurrection, the only person to, to live a life, a sinless, perfect life. And he goes to the cross. He doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to die because he didn't sin. And he goes to the cross to take our place. Consequently, bridging that chasm, that gap between us and God. Something that we could never cross, ever. Something that we could never do. It doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter how hard we love. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how right we live. Because it's compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We will never measure up to His righteousness. Therefore, we could never cross that chasm. But Jesus came and provided that way. Jesus rose from the, uh, the, on the third day after His death and won victory over sin and over Satan. Listen to these awesome words by Paul as he wrote this in 1 Corinthians. Death, where's your victory? Where's it at now, death? Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has authority over life and death. Jesus has authority over Satan and sin. And uh, this is the gospel. This is the good news that we don't, that, that, that Jesus provides this way to God the Father. He has authority over you and me. So he has authority over life and death. He has authority over sin and Satan. He is, he has conquered death. The sting is gone. Death can no longer grip us if we have this, this, this salvation living inside of us. And now he has authority over you and me. He is our rightful Lord and Master. He's the sovereign, he is the sovereign ruler of our lives. He reigns supremely. Jesus reigns supremely. He reigns with deep love. Many of us in here have experienced the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ. I was just talking before the service. We were, I was talking to another individual and we were talking about some things about living this Christian life and, and at times how the human nature uh, takes over. But, there, but that's the struggle until we, until we see Jesus face to face and have new bodies when we live in His glory uh, in heaven. We're going to struggle at times. But He loves us with this deep love that He forgives. And He, he um, uh, provides us this, this sense of forgiveness. And He judges eternally. You see, our belief in all of this, our belief in the resurrection doesn't, hint, doesn't validate the truth. 
Your belief in, in, in the authority uh, in God, in Jesus reigning over you supremely really doesn't matter if you believe it's true or not because it's true, right? It doesn't valid, it doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that, that it's wrong or that, that it's not truth if you don't believe in it. It means that He is supreme, He is Lord, and He is our Master. But every one of us has a choice in that. Every one of us sitting in here this morning has a choice in that. We can say, well, I don't believe that He is Lord. I don't believe that He reigns my life supremely. I don't put my faith, I don't surrender to Him. But the, but the, but the thing of it is this. You can either do it now, or you will do it later. Right now, you can have the choice to do it. But later, Paul tells us that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's better to do it now than later. But here's the question. Do we believe on all this? Do we believe that He's really alive? Because this is what, again, Christianity is all about. Christianity doesn't give us a list of things to do. It's, one, it's the only religion that doesn't give us a list of things to do. We don't have to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to, to obtain salvation on our own. It's what makes it vastly different. But there, but there is a couple things that's connected to it. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says this, Believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead. It says one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses, confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Paul writes, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And again, if we don't believe in the truth of the Gospel, the burden of proof is on us. But there's something that's very that, that I want us to spend just a few moments as, we, as, I, as I kind of bring all this together. Do we truly believe He's alive? Paul says the first thing is to believe. Now, I want us to really think about this this morning. Okay? I want you to really think about this this morning as you sit in here. There's more to believing than just saying, I believe or I accept it. Believing means there's something that changes with inside of you. Believing means that Jesus has, that you believe in Him, but, to, but, but, but you're following Him in a way that literally changes your life. James writes about just saying, well, I believe in it, right? James, James writes about this and says, even the demons believe in God. Now check this out. Wouldn't you agree with this? Right now, certainly, Satan believes in the Bible and the Word of God, right? I think we would all, hopefully you would agree with that. That doesn't mean he's following it. But I think all of us sitting in here would say, I, I think Satan knows. I think Satan believes the Bible is the Word of God. Certainly Satan would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We read countless times where Jesus came in contact with demons and the demons responded to Jesus in a way that was like, why are you here? Your time is, hasn't come. Why are you here? The demons even knew who Jesus was. Satan believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Certainly Satan would believe that Jesus died and rose, or died on the cross and rose again. Certainly, Satan would believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved. I bet, I bet, certainly, Satan would say, yeah, I believe that you should live a moral life. I believe that Satan would say, I believe you should go to church. I believe you should get involved in church. I believe you should do those things. But when it comes to Satan repenting of his sin, and surrendering his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's where the line is drawn. And for some of us, that's where the line is drawn for us. We say we believe. 
We have that first part down. Yeah, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe in the empty tomb. I believe in the resurrection. I believe those things. But then Paul goes on to say this. But yet you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And really what this means is, do you surrender to the, to the, do you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Let me read that again. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Many find it easy to believe. Many, some of us sitting in here this morning find it very easy to believe in the facts about the cross and about the tomb. And, and some of us even say about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We would say that, you know, we, we believe that. But when it comes to submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, for some of us, that's problematic. We still struggle with what we want. We still struggle with Luke 9, 3, picking up our cross, or denying ourselves, picking up our cross daily and following Jesus. It's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to believe and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Those two aren't separable. Many times we make them separate. We say, well, I believe. It's kind of like at times where we say, well, I believe, I believe, but yet I'm not really a disciple. I believe, but I'm not one of those ultra-committed Christians or followers of Jesus. I believe, but and essentially what we're saying is this. I believe, but I believe on my terms. I believe, but don't ask me to go too deep. I believe, but don't ask me to, you know, to, to really go head over heels into this. When that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it means to believe with every aspect of our being, to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, to follow Him, to surrender to His Lordship. We repent, we confess, we ask for forgiveness, we continue to, you know, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, follow Him. Again, this isn't something where we're attaining perfection. This isn't something where we don't have bad days. Because I believe as humans, there's times where we're going to have bad days as we attempt to, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But the key is, that we struggle, that we continue to move forward, that we continue to follow, we continue to submit, to confess, to repent, to continue to follow the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The question becomes, do you truly believe in that? Because that's what the empty tomb means. That's what the resurrected Jesus means. That He has authority. He has authority over life and death. He has authority over sin and Satan, taking away, taking away this judgment that was on us, taking away this wrath of God that was on us. He has authority over you and I, regardless if we say that that's, you know, we believe that or not. Jesus does. The question is, do we submit to that and do we surrender to that? Do we truly believe and surrender in the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I pray that this Easter today, that this might be the day, if you're struggling and believing, that this might be the day you say, you know what? I'm crossing that line. I'm making that commitment. I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. I pray that whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, because there's times, even as believers, we struggle with making Jesus Lord of our lives. I think it was John Ortberg that talked about, we do a great job at dating Jesus. You know, we court Him. 
As long as we, you know, He kind of takes us in the areas that we want to go or takes us in certain places, that's okay. But when it comes to other things, it's like, you know what, that's a little bit too much, Jesus. That's a little bit too much. And I need to back off here. I pray today might be the day, might be the Easter, that you truly experience the resurrection in your life and you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And guys, I believe when that happens is when we see changes within our lives. I believe that's when we begin to truly deny ourselves, pick up our crosses daily, and follow Jesus. Does that describe your life here this morning? That's what Jesus wants to give us right now. You're in here. It's not by accident that you came here this morning. Whether you came begrudgingly, whether you came with joy, whether this is the, you know, the time that you come, the message that God has for you this morning is this. I love you so much and I want you to surrender to my Lordship and follow me. That word confess, if we look at it in the, in the, um, if you would go to the last slide, that word confess in the, in the Greek here means to submit, literally submit to the, it says the Lord Jesus as deity and the supreme Lord of all things. That's what it means to confess with the mouth. That's what it means. It's not just this thing where we just, you know, we talk the talk, we give it lip service, but it means that we truly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is deity, that he's God. That, he's, that He is the Messiah. And because of that, He's the supreme Lord of all things. He is the resurrected. And because of that, we submit to His Lordship and say, the burden of proof, this is my burden of proof, is my changed life. I don't know where you are this morning as a believer as an unbeliever. I think the Holy Spirit wants to connect with each and every one of us in here this morning. This isn't some blanket thing, but I believe the Holy Spirit has a unique message for each and every single one of us in here this morning. I pray that you would open your hearts, your spirits to God's Spirit, that He might be able to communicate with you where you are. Would you uh, stand with me as we're going to close this the message part? And I just want to I just want to lead us into a word of prayer as we go to to. Um, we're going to do some baptisms here in a few moments. And I can't think of a better way or time to do baptisms because baptisms is about people coming saying, yes, I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm not just giving it lip service, but I'm acknowledging that my life is in Jesus' hands and I submit and surrender to His Lordship. Father, we give you great thanks today. Father, not just because you provided a nice place for us to assemble, not because we can come here on this holiday and, and, and enjoy a church service and then leave and go home and have a meal with the family. But Father, we acknowledge, and we acknowledge this every time we meet, that You are the resurrected King. Father, that You have authority over all things, Jesus. Father, Jesus, that you, that you have this authority that reigns supremely, that You are the Lord and, and Master of all things. Regardless if we just give it lip service, Father, we know that that's, that's truth, that that is true. So Jesus, I pray that this morning your spirit would just find freedom in this room. I pray, Jesus, that if there are those in here that really struggle with this lordship, submitting to you and totally surrendering to you, Jesus, would you just impress on their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and help give them the courage to let go and surrender their entire being to you.
I pray that this would be an awesome Easter for them. I pray that as we leave here today, individuals would rejoice in knowing that their life is different. And so I pray right now, as people are praying, as people are confessing right now to you, acknowledging that they've been living their life for themselves, that they haven't been denying themselves, Jesus, that you would just come and surround them and forgive them and allow them to to submit their lives and surrender their lives to you. And I pray all this in the powerful name of you. Amen.